Imran Khan is the co-founder and chief executive officer of Verishop, a social commerce company with a mission to create a more joyful shopping experience for its community. In addition, Imran Pai is the founder and CEO of Chrome Asset Management, an investment firm that focuses on the technology space. Prior to co-founding Verishop, Imran Pai served as Snap Inc.'s chief strategy officer, where he oversaw the company's corporate strategy, revenue generation, business operations, and partnerships. Under his leadership, Snap's annual revenue run rate increased to $1.6 billion from zero in less than four years. Previously, he was a managing director and head of global internet investment banking at Credit Suisse, where he advised on more than $45 billion worth of internet M&A uh, and financing transactions. Before joining Credit Suisse, he, was, uh, he held the role of managing director and head of global internet research at J.P. Morgan Chase. Uh, Imran Bhai, uh, thank you so much for joining us. Welcome to Ben. Thank you. And we're sticking with English because I think there are some non-Bengali speakers. So, yes, I think I think that's that's quite okay with everyone's permission. Um, you know, it's I think it's good to get to know you a little bit better. We ask this question to everybody: um, Where did you grow up, and what did you aspire to be when you were younger? Yeah, uh, I grew up in Dhaka. Uh, I was born in Borishal. Uh, grew up in Dhaka uh, basically most of my life. You know, like starting six months old. Uh, grew up in Dhaka. Uh, where did we live? Uh, I, le- I lived in, uh, okay, once my memory stuck, you know, I think first couple of years were in Dhaka, we left um, some parts, but I lived in Dun- uh, Green Road and then Cantonment and then Dunmundi areas. And then um, I went to school in government lab, uh, government lab, and then uh, Dhaka College. And then I came to US. And, you know, how did you end up in a career in investment banking? Is that something you had in mind from the get-go? No, you know, I think I didn't know what Wall Street was. That's not something we learn in school, a high school or college, and had zero exposure. Uh, so I got, uh, I learned about Wall Street when I uh, came to college. Uh, one of my friends got an internship uh, in a Wall Street firm. Uh, in 1997, I believe. And so uh, so I learned from that, you know, he got the job and I learned about the job. And then I started taking some economics and finance classes and learned about Wall Street. Uh, so that's how I got the exposure. And, 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 and then I started, you know, basically cold calling uh, everybody I, you know, had any connectivity. Uh, and that's how I landed, landed a job. That's all, and and you had a pretty you know incredible career. One thing I just wanted to note was you helped lead the um, IPO for Alibaba, which uh, ended up being the largest share or share sale in history. I think you know, or at least um, in recent times. I just wanted to kind of ask you know, I'm sure you interact with Jack Ma and Joe Tsai. Just wanted to hear more about kind of the experience and what learnings you might have taken from that. Uh, yeah. So I started going to China in 2000. Four, uh, and you know, for a variety of reasons, you know, one, you know, I was really interested about you know the internet growth, and given that such a large population, uh, and uh, so I thought that that's a really really interesting country to go spend more time, and uh, so uh, so when I went to China in two thousand four. I met, you know, Jack and Joe, you know, of Alibaba folks, you know, that was a relatively small company at that time. You know, I think they were doing $90 million 
GMB or something like that, very tiny uh, revenue. Uh, and uh, uh, so we became, we got to know each other well. And over the years, I kept in touch with the company and they have, you know, grown significantly over the years. I think the big learning thing is, you know, one, this, they really believed in the trend and, you know, it was not an easy ride and it's continued to be very difficult, right, for them. Uh, and, uh, but, you know, they stay the course and executed very, very well. Um, you know, I think it's really important to have grit because nothing is easy in life, you know. You just got to stick with it and 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 got to stay focused and execute. From from one group of transformational founders uh, to another, um, you know, what was kind of the the reason to join uh, and go in house at Stamp when that opportunity came? Uh, I was really impressed by Evan. You know, I think um, I truly believe that if you have a really incredible product and a product vision you know, monetization can be figured out, right? And I think, you know, ultimately the hardest part is to how do you get most more people to know about you? You know, primarily uh, it's so crowded everywhere. You know, the internet is fairly competitive. Uh, and I think, you know, Snap really built an incredible product that was really, really loved by younger demographic. And uh, people, you know, I remember when I first, you know, heard about Snap and I asked, you know, uh, all the first year analysts in investment banking at Credit Suisse, 100% of the people were using the product, 100%, literally. And, uh, uh, and, 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 and they all love the product, you know, really, really excitement about the product. And, uh, and so when I met Evan, you know, I was really impressed by his vision, and what he wanted to build. And, you know, and I was willing for post Alibaba IPO. Uh, I wanted to, I feel like I'd, you know, at least in a shorter term, I have done what I could have done in banking. And I wanted to, I was looking for a new challenge. And in, I remember, you know, totally understanding, you know, as Snap was growing up, um, you know, a lot of people were using it. But to take that and to kind of build the monetization engine uh, and competing against the likes of Facebook and Google and so many others in digital advertising, also curious about, you know, that process and, and how you approached it. Yeah, I think, you know, the process was iterative, right? You know, I think, and we learned a lot, you know, um, I, I think the good news was they had such a strong, or they continue to have such a strong following among the uh, younger demographic that's very hard to reach. So there are a lot of advertiser interest. You know, I think the challenge was that how can we build an ad product that is effective for, uh, you know, because I think the biggest challenge is, you know, that consumers get so many advertising every day. You cannot go anywhere without seeing an advertising. How do you build an advertising product that is effective? Uh, and, you know, I think we hired some great people um, and we had a great engineering team. Uh, and so, uh, so I really, really, and, 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 and then I think the market also welcomed, you know, a new competitors because people were so concerned about Facebook and Google and their, uh, their uh, their lock on the market, so people are looking for a third player. So so combination of market percent market interest, co combination of the significant user base that we had among the younger demographic, which is very hard to reach, and then the third, you know, a great team. You know, all of those things really help get us where we wanted to get there. And, and then you left. Uh... 
snap, I think around 2018. Yeah, um, at the end of 2018, beginning of 2019, yes. That's right. And, you know, there are several directions you probably could have gone, uh, including venture, uh, and but you went in and became a founder of Verishop. Um, would love to just learn more about why you decided to do it then and, and what was the, the initial vision? Yeah, I think one, I'm not very good at doing venture investment. I learned over the years. And uh, uh, so I didn't want to do venture investment. I like doing public investment and we do have a public investment fund that invests in public market. Uh, but on the Verishop, you know, my whole thesis was the way we saw the digital content creators disrupt the content industry. We, my view was that a lot of these new independent emerging brands will disrupt the retail industry. And, uh, and there are a lot of these small businesses and, 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 and the idea was, can we build a community for these independent emerging brands so that we can help them grow? Uh, so Verishop is just one part, Verishop.com is just one part of it, right? Where merchant, where the small businesses we collect them all, put together and create, curate them. And all these new, cool, emerging brands who has a great story, great vision. And they're very, very passionate about why they're building the brand. You know, um, you know, uh, like Tanvir is on the call, like he's building a brand called Ila Lane. You know, he's very passionate about it. And people, and, 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 and so, so really wanted to build a platform for all these, you know, entrepreneurs who are incredibly passionate about building a brand and fighting for a cause and and putting all their you know uh you know time and effort and 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 passion behind it and so in, to me that is the maker's economy you know they are a new kind of artist and how can we support them so the verishop.com is just a curated platform where people can shop but the whole vision from day one was very bigger than that right how can we help them get more distribution so one of the things we are doing is in addition to verishop.com we're part, we're going to start partnering with a lot of media companies and create you know a different commerce site so that those media companies can drive traffic so if you're an entrepreneur and you're building a brand you come to Verishop you don't get distribution not only Verishop but all these other sites we're going to partner with so if you go to goodful.com g-o-o-d-f-u-l.com uh uh no f-u-l f-u-l full goodful f-u-l.com hopefully it's going to yeah, so you can see that that's a e-commerce site powered, uh, created by it's a BuzzFeed brand, you know, but it's powered by Verishop, you know. So we're talking to a lot of other media companies. So over time, you know, uh, brands can come to Verishop, get distribution on Verishop, and all other third-party commerce site that we're going to managing. So that's one part of it. Second, you know, I think you know if you are a if you are a emerging brands, you know, it's really hard to acquire customers. You're only dependent on Facebook and Google. So what we're trying to do is find new avenues of distribution, you know, so right, we are partnering with the again, media companies, Apple News, so that you can get distribution on those platform and don't have to pay an agency fee to get those distribution. And then the third thing we're doing is really, you know, how can we uh, bring more savings? So we negotiated rate with FedEx, we negotiated rate with uh, packaging companies, you know, uh, uh, we just signed up like a deal with a better packaging that makes sustainable packaging. Um, you know, uh, like a little bit bigger companies we partnered with, like companies like NetSuite. So, and and we all have negotiated rate with them on behalf of our 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 brand community. 
and so that our brands doesn't have to go negotiate and you know because it's hard as a small business to negotiate against all these big companies and so that they can get a better rate so the whole point is you know we want to you know support those in these entrepreneurs and and i thought that would be a great you know uh uh really you know imp- it, it's it, it could be a great business but at the same time it could be a very impactful business where we're really making positive impact in the society and so that's what we created Verishop. And and that seems to be, I mean, the theme from the beginning was kind of trust um, in terms of being going for both consumers as well as I guess for the merchants, kind of where you know you can there's no negative fake reviews. There's you know you can actually find trusted kind of well verified products, uh, which I thought was quite interesting. Um, you know, on the on on some of the things you mentioned about kind of you know helping these brands, for example, access um, you know cheaper um, services. Uh, do you charge for that or do you kind of pass it on? And, and the way you make money is when they actually get to sell either on your platform or through these other platform, um, affiliated platforms. Yeah. So, you know, so we, you know, we have a 46 people and we have to pay them and, 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 and there's a cost of running the business. So the way we fund the cost is really two ways. We have a membership fee, you know, when the book joined the brands you know for distribution for to get all this access to saving and all this advertising they pay a membership fee because you know again we, we view ourselves as a community so you know you join a you, you join a club you know there's a there's a 400 and 500 yearly like 12 months fee so like like it's like a cost of a paying a coffee every day um and uh so that's a membership fee and then there's a transaction fee got it another question uh you know, I wanted to learn more when you start out, at least in the beginning, obviously the initial kind of, um, you know, work was on the marketplace side. How did you overcome the cold start problem of, on one hand, building the supply side, you know, having these verified uh, suppliers and merchants, and on the other hand, also building the demand side uh, in terms of- Demand side is the hardest part by by far, you know. Uh, I think that uh, on the supply side, I think one of the most interesting things we found that there are a lot of people believe in the mission we are believing. And, and there are a lot of brands are also out there who are want to join a club and create a community so that they can compete effectively against these bigger companies who raise a lot of money and things like that. Um, now, listen, supply side is hard. You know, I think, uh, uh, sorry, demand side is hard. And that's one of the reasons we probably decided to go the route of partnering with the media companies, you know, because now the partnering with the media companies, you know, um, like I'm, I'm meeting with the Condé Nast on Tuesday to talk about, hey, can we partner with all the Condé Nast brand? And uh, so I think the partnering with the media companies, I think ultimately we can really significantly reduce that, you know, uh, challenges of the demand side of the issue, you know, um, because in the internet, you know, the Facebook and Google and some of the big media companies have so much lock on the traffic, you know, uh, even if you're a large brands like, you know, Wayfair or Farfetch or Revolve, you, you have, you're struggling with the traffic. So, so I think you know we got this good press coverage. We we spend money on marketing. We 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 we're, we're investing in SEOs and things like that, uh, and that's obviously brought a lot of traffic. Uh, but we continue to look for new ways to bring traffic, and that's why I'm really excited about what we're doing with BuzzFeed and what that can happen to you know if you partner with all these media companies. And they also have a lot of understanding about their their consumers, and so we can put the right product to the right in front of the right audience so that's quite interesting because these media companies have a captive audience 
they're looking for ways in which they could monetize them beyond what they've done traditionally, which might've been subscriptions or advertising. Yeah. And so now you're adding e-commerce as kind of that third layer or, or third rung in their uh, business strategy, which I think is quite interesting. And, and you're right, like, you know, they, they, they don't want to be dependent on Facebook and Google for all their traffic and revenues. Um, also, I mean, going back to that kind of, uh, you know, the, even on the supply side, um, and one thing that just struck you know, me just learning about the businesses, how much kind of emphasis you've had, you know, placed on quality and, and you know, uh, from the very beginning and obviously trust. And so how much of that could be automated when it comes to, let's say, the onboarding process for a new merchant or a new brand? So I ex- give example of Apple app stores, right? If you look at Apple app stores, you know, the whole process is fairly automated, but somebody manually at least review everything, you know? And by doing so, app store experience is much more, you know, clean and protected as opposed to Android experience or as opposed to eBay experience, as opposed to Amazon experience. So what we have done is, you know, we made as automated as possible. And I think there's a lot of automation needs to be done, but we have the human element of it that somebody at least talk to you, somebody at least review the brand so that we can guarantee that, you know, uh, that authenticity. And also pay close attention to customer feedback, shopper feedback. Got it. And on the going back to the consumer side, I think there's things you've done to kind of optimize their experience, including, you know, partnering with influencers, having selections kind of curated by them, affiliate programs, you know, live streams and even automatic kind of clipping. Uh, could you tell yeah. us a little bit more about that as well? Yeah, you know, I think the automatic clipping is super cool uh, because what we found that, you know, live streaming, while it worked really well in China and probably in market, in the U.S., people don't really watch live. They don't watch live, even TV, right? And uh, and so uh, so I think, you know, but what we do find, find did find that the video drive higher conversion rate, you know? So one of the things that we've done, I think is pretty interesting, is that once the live streaming end, we take those live streaming, cut them into mini clip and put them into the product description page. And then and the video review is great because I think if you can create short form video that's quick, digestible, because ultimately what is a brand, right? A brand is a promise, right? The black shirt I'm wearing versus the black shirt somebody else is wearing, you know, one could be $1, what could be $10? What's the difference? And 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 the, the difference really is the perception and the promise, you know. And if you can really communicate that promise uh, uh, easily, I think people are, you know, that help you differentiate the brand. And 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 I think that's where the video plays a pretty important role if you can build it, or also any kind of content plays a pretty critical role. Uh, I'm I'm almost struck. I mean, I feel like that could be a product on its own. <laughs> And you could yeah. offer it to these merchants on their own digital channels or or social media profiles. I don't know if that's part of the plan or it's already happening. Over time, you know, I think uh, right now I'm really focused on like how can we get you know the economy is tough. Uh, how can we get the biggest bang for the smallest bucks, right? And uh, for us and for our community. And so that's where I'm probably the really biggest focus on. Another um, another kind of element that struck me when you and I first met, uh, I think you mentioned that you know everybody's remote uh, in the company, or this is a remote first company, um, and obviously you you started as it coincided with the pandemic, and you grew during the pandemic. 
how do you create a culture when you know uh, when most everyone's working on on Zoom or online? Yeah, I think probably the best way to create the culture is around the mission of the company, right? If everybody is excited about the mission of the business, you build a culture around that. You know, um, you know. I think I have mixed feeling is uh, uh, that uh, about this uh, uh, remote versus bringing everybody together. You know, I think there are some positive of everybody working in the same office because it's definitely helped easy in terms of training and development and building personal connection, primarily when you have a lot of young employees. Uh, but the reality is one of the things that I found is that, you know, like there are different culture in companies when you go to different floors. There's a different culture when you go to different offices. You know, you, there's a different culture between different office buildings, you know. So as the company grows, there are a lot of you know, micro culture. But ultimately, the real culture needs to be built around, you know, where uh, is that rallying people, again, you know, for the mission of the company. And I think, you know, we build a business to support this uh, entrepreneur community, you know, who are building, you know, are very passionate about building a new brand, uh, very passionate about the cause of why they're building a brand. And, and I think you build a culture around that. And I think, you know, and that's also great aligned with the, you know, uh, everything we're doing. And then and, and I think that, that's a, probably the best way to go about it. Uh, one last question on strategy. Uh, I think we talked about this as well, but could you see yourselves ever going offline, having pop-up stores or something as, as another means of acquiring customers? So never say never, but, you know, I think the way I'm thinking about the offline strategy is it's like another distribution channel. So the way we created goodful.com, you know, uh, we probably should partner with a, a company that already has a strong offline footprint. And rather than making it a Veroshop branding, have our brands opt in to get exposure, right? Rather than we go building our own, you know, Veroshop store. Uh, so, so to me is like, again, view Veroshop as a community you know, and find ways how we can distribute our community to more location. Right, community and an ecosystem right. uh, makes makes sense. Um, and then also I just wanted to touch on kind of your fundraise because I think that's something a lot of entrepreneurs are curious about. So you, you know, raised a 40 million Series B. Um, I think you raised, I think, 60 million to date, uh, if that's correct. Um, at least on a, I'm just curious, you know, between seed to Series A to Series B, how does the, you know, what sort of metrics do you have to show and do those evolve over time um, in terms of, you know, what investors are looking for? Yeah, I think, so first of all, I think my biggest takeaway last three, four years is always trying to build a business that can be break even, right? Because they are not, then you're not dependent on investors, you know, depending on, you know, it's like really funny thing that what I learned that people always give you money when you don't need the money, you know, when you need the money, nobody wants to give you money, you know, it just, just life. That's the way it works. Uh, so, uh, so, so really, you know, focus on as little money as you can need to raise. I think looking back, one of the biggest mistake I probably made is we raised too much money. I wish I didn't raise that kind of money. Um, I think that would make that. So over the last couple of years, we've been very said, Hey, how can we be more frugal and how can we, you know, help our community be more successful by being, you know, 
you know, I think the thing is that when you have constraint, you focus on one or two things. When you don't have constraint, you focus on too many things. And Jack Ma used to say that, you know, a lot of times companies die not because they don't have money, but because they have too much money, you know, because when you have too much money, you focus on too many things. Uh, so I think, you know, at the beginning, raising too much capital probably hurt us, you know, as a company. So I always tell people that focus on few things and win on those things and, you know, and then raise money when you don't need the money. And, uh, but, you know, in terms of metrics, you know, I think uh, depending on the business, right, it's really what kind of businesses you are. If you are a brand, people are looking at the unit economics and how you are scaling the unit economics, like what's your, your profit, your contribution profit post-marketing. If you are a company that building uh, 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 like more of a, like a product, you know, like you are in, 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 in businesses of like AI or augmented reality and things like that, that's probably product milestone. You know what? What's 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 the product? You know roadmap milestone you are hitting. Uh, that's uh, I think people are looking at it. So it depends, like what kind of business. So different businesses, different miles, uh, different uh, valuation metrics at early stage. But but I think ultimately people want to see that you know what is the business could become in five years, ten years, fifteen years, twenty years from now, and where are you in that journey, and what milestones you are hitting, and what's the next milestone could look like. And I remember you know. Uh, what struck me kind of reading about that uh, raise was, you know, some of the metrics like 5,000 brands, 3,000 merchants, monthly mer merchant retention rate over 99%, 120% year over year merchant count uh, growth and 6x growth in marketing solutions. But your headcount didn't increase that much, actually, even while you were kind of growing um, as a company. So I thought that was quite interesting that, you know, you sort of, um, to your point, you know, you sort of decided to, um, you know, constrain um, on, on that side. Um, another question, I mean, going back to that point you made about 5, 10, 15 years, do you see yourselves IPO, doing an IPO in the future? Obviously, it's not a great market right now. I'm, honestly, I'm probably more focused on how can we be a best ecosystem for these small businesses, people who are entrepreneurs who are building a great business, uh, as opposed to what's the exist strategy of the Verishop, you know? Um, to me, I think the success will look like that, hey, we work with 5,000 brands, it ultimately, whatever the right number is, but you know, a small percentage of the business went public, a percentage of this business became profitable and run profitably, a percentage of this business was acquired. You know, I think uh, to me, that would be the bigger success metrics as opposed to what is our exit you know, look like. Because you know, if we can help our community become successful, ultimately, it'll be fine. You know, I think. I think the question is how can we help our community save more money by negotiating better rate for them, uh, help them get, you know, put them in front of more customers. You know, I cannot force people shoppers to buy the product, but can I put them in front of more, more, more people, more shoppers? I think that's probably the best way to get started. And those are kind of your two North stars, helping them save and helping them reach a bigger audience, uh, which, which makes a lot of sense. And one kind of just one, one last point on that. It also struck me, you, you've said, uh, you were adamant that you wouldn't necessarily do your own in-house brands, private label, uh, because you don't want to conflict with your community. Can you just talk a little bit about that? Yeah, the, the reason is, you know, first of all, you know, I think, again, we've built a business for, for you know, other people who are building great brands, you know, and, 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 and along the time, I met a lot of the brand founders, and they have incredible stories, you know, you know. Um, and 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 like incredible stories about hardship, incredible story about that passion, 
and uh, and uh, so the whole mission of the company is to support these people and and we go building a brand then what's the difference between us and amazon you know again money making is not the only focus of this business you know i don't want to lose money because then i have to go beg money from other people but my goal is not to you know you know ultimately can again i view itself as a community makes sense value creation and and that's that's what you're focused on, or that element is what you're focused on. I think that's a very good uh, note to end on. Uh, and uh, you know, Imran Pai, we're so grateful for your time. And no, also- thank you. I appreciate it. I appreciate you reaching out. It was yeah. great to accept with you in Dallas. And um, and no, thank you. And hopefully, we can keep continue to find linkages together. Uh, you know, inshallah, as as we like to say. But thanks everybody for 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 your time. I hope to see you soon. Uh, And thanks a lot, Imran Bhai, and talk to you guys soon. Thanks. Bye.